Isaiah 49, 1-13. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I am glorified. I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves, because of the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I have answered you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you a covenant to the people, to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out, to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways, on all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sion. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Bring forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. This is the word of the Lord. Well, every Thanksgiving, sorry, I got to get all my papers put in order. Every Thanksgiving, uh, my grandmother would ask us the same question What do you want for Christmas? She would wrangle us, calm us down from whatever game we were playing, and she would set, and set us down at the table with the, the JCPenney catalog. Uh, some of you are old enough to remember this. It's like a bajillion pages long, right? And before uh, the advent of the internet. Uh, this was the only way to know all of the good stuff that was out there, all the new toys that were to be released, all the things that you could ever uh, have your heart set on. And she, was, she would set us down with the JCPenney catalog and she would say, make me a list for what you want for Christmas. And this is always a complicated thing, right, if you're a kid, because there's some risks, right? There's a, there's a risk of um, asking for, for too much or, or too many things, right? You know that there's some invisible limit in grandma's mind, right? Some number of gifts or some dollar amount that she is not going to exceed, right? So if you put too many things on your list, you'll, you, you, you're, you're just playing the risk that what you really want won't get uh, dropped down and, and diluted in the midst of it all. But there's another risk. There's a risk that you ask too little, Right? That you ask too simple a thing or too small a number of things, and grandma wants to give you so much more. It's a terrible risk as a kid to leave money on the table when there's gifts that can be given to you, right? 
as we come to this section in Isaiah, we come to this uh, admittedly somewhat obscure um, image, the image of the gift that God is bringing into the world. The image, the, the commissioning, the, the mission of this servant of the Lord that we come to know as Jesus. And it's here that we, describe, that we discover what it is that God is trying to give to the world. We understand what it is that God is trying to provide for us. And the people of Israel are in a season where they are waiting, waiting for a coming Messiah, waiting to understand what God is doing. And here he tells them. And it's the the reality is, is that when he tells them that what they long for, the Christmas list that they have made for themselves, the, the longings of their hearts, He reveals them to be too small, too cheap, too limited, too little. And it asks us the question as we come in our Advent, as we come to celebrate our Christmas, what is it that we hope God does for us? What is the gift that we hope God brings into our life? What is it that we want from God this Christmas season? And I think if we listen to the voice of Isaiah, we're going to realize that whatever it is that we, however it is that we answer that question, what we want from God, what we think God will give us is far too small. Because a servant in this passage is one whose compassion and whose grace and whose love does not have a limit. God here in this passage shows us that his compassion extends beyond what we can even ask for. His compassion is more than we know how to ask. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to take a look at two different ways, two different ways that the gift of this servant to uh, exceed, superimpose, they they overwhelm the, the things that we would dare even think of asking of God. And in their place, it gives us a hope. A hope. So let's look at these two things. The two concepts I want us to look at is this. First, that God's compassion wants to go deeper down into our lives than we dare dream of. That God's compassion wants to go deeper down into our lives. Now, if you told uh, one of the people living in Isaiah's day that their longings, that their desires were too small, too little of a thing for God to do, they would look at you like you are crazy. Through many chapters leading up, the whole section of Isaiah leading up to this has detailed the ways that this nation will experience the crisis of, uh, of being invaded, of being overthrown. That God's people living in the land of, of Israel, of Palestine, would be invaded by the forces of a Babylonian king who would take them and, 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 and invade their temple, take their belongings. That he would take their women and husbands and children and they would cart them off to a different land, a land where they would be exposed to bitterness and racism, that they would be exposed to poverty, that they would be exposed to evil. 
And then Isaiah tells them this, uh, this promise, this idea that there is going to come one, uh, a certain King Cyrus, who would deliver the people and, and restore them back to their homeland, a place where they had identity, a place where they had hope, a place where they could be known. And so if you ask one of these Israelites, reading through the scrolls of Isaiah, what is it that they want from God? They say, I want that. I want a king who can come and can, can meet my desires. So a king who can come and can, can, can deliver me from the, the, the evil that I'm experiencing, from the captivity, from the violence, from the bitterness, from the prejudice. That's what I want. God, would you give that to me? In fact, compared to, to our list, what we want for Christmas, it may seem like they're, they're asking an enormous, impossible request. Because for most of us, if you're like me, what do I want from Christmas? I, I just wanna, I want to, I want things to be okay, right? I want things to be warm and cozy. I want things to be fun and, and light. I want... Um, there to be peace in my house, so to speak, right? But whether God is looking at us in our needs or whether God is looking at Israel in their needs, he says what you're asking for, what you're longing for, what you're hoping for this season is not nearly big enough. Let me put it this way. Um, when I was a kid, we, you know, we'd go to the restaurants, and again, as a you know, child of the 80s and 90s, right, the, the pinnacle of dining out was not small, little bougie restaurants like we have here in Midtown, right? The pinnacle of dining out was Applebee's, right? It was TGI Fridays. It was uh, the Cheesecake Factory, right? And you've been to these places, right? Hopefully. Um, and there's these... You know, when they hand you the menu, it's like a catalog, right? It's like you, you've got the appetizers, the salads, and then you flip the page over, and then it's, you know, there's the, uh, I can't remember what I said, the, you know, the sandwiches, and you flip it over, and there's the entrees, and then you flip it over, and there's the grill, right? There's this ongoing list of things. But as a child, my parents had really conditioned me to just look at that, the, the first page, right, the sandwiches page, and there's a good reason for this because, you know, the sandwiches were a good 4 or $5 cheaper than the entrees or the grill. And so I knew that when I was looking at what I was going to eat that day, I could only look at the sandwiches portion of the menu. I knew what I could ask for and anything beyond that was out of my mind. But then there was occasion, this random occasion in which the waitress would come around. She'd take all of our orders. We'd all give our orders. And then she'd come to, to my dad at the end, and he would, he would go and order a ribeye. He would go and he'd order something big off of the forbidden pages later on in, in the, uh, the menu. And we'd go, what? I didn't know this was an option. I didn't know this was a special occasion here where we could order off the back pages of the menu. Maybe you've done this. Uh, at, at a restaurant, right? You order something off the menu and then you see the table next to you and they bring out this plate and it looks amazing. And you're like, wait, I didn't know that was an option. They ordered the special that your waitress didn't tell you about. You didn't dare dream of the goodness that could be given to you because you had been too conditioned by, what you th the, by the limits that you thought were in front of you. 
When we look at this list of Isaiah, we've been conditioned to think that God is there as our, uh, our asset, our bailout buddy, the, the one who can come in to whatever the need is that we have that particular moment, whether it's a material need or whether it's a, an emotional need or whether it's a spiritual need, and he can come and he can provide us resources. But what we look at this text, what we see is, is that God wants to give us so much more than what we know to ask for, that the needs we feel are so pressing are only the tip of the iceberg because God's compassion wants to drill down deeper inside of you. Let me show you. In verse 8, uh, we're in this passage, it's explaining the, the, the mission of this servant, what it is that he's being called and, and tasked to do as he comes to earth. And this servant, remember, is none other than Jesus at the end of the day. And so it says here that, uh, that this servant would come, and in verse 8 it says that he would establish the land, and that he would apportion the desolate heritages. It's a lot of big words to say. Basically, he would do exactly what those Israelites wanted, right? That he would bring these people back out of their captivity, that he would establish a homeland for them. That he would say to the prisoners, come out, and to those who are in darkness, appear. That he would take the captives and that he would set them free. He would put them on their feet. God's compassion would give them the needs, the desires of their heart. All right, he would give them what they asked for, the, the club sandwich that they asked for. But he would go one step farther. Look in, in verse 9. They shall... Feed along the ways, and on all the bare heights shall be their pasture. Right? He doesn't just break them out of prison and then leave them in the desert high and dry. He says, no, they shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. Why? For he, the servant who has pity on them, will lead them. And by springs of water, he will guide them. See, we come to God and we say, God, would you help me out? Would you catch, give me a break? Would you cut me some slack? But what God wants to give you is not just relief, not just grace, not just mercy. God wants to be with you. That's why in verse 5 he says that his task is to bring his people back to him. And that Israel might be gathered to him. You see, you want God to show up and, and to bring you some relief from, from the pocketbook, from the relationship that's, that's strained and broken. We want God to show up in, in, in significant and real ways, but what God wants to do is so much more than that. He wants to enter into our lives. He wants to walk alongside us in paths of darkness. He wants to bring his grace and his mercy and his compassion ever further, ever deeper into our lives' experience. So the Israelites wanted to be freed from captivity, but what God wanted to do is he wanted to restore to them a life, that, a life of, 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 of real belonging. He didn't want to just give them a land. He wanted to give them a home. He didn't want to just uh, spring them from prison. He wanted to walk with them down the road. We come to God with our guilt and our shame, and we would say, we, God, we want our sins forgiven, and by golly, he will do that. But he wants you to also know 
the comfort of being with your creator. We want our problems to simply be out of sight. But God wants our vision to be filled with the glory of God. It's almost like too much. It's almost more than we can imagine, isn't it? In fact, some of you all are starting to tune me out, right? Because it sounds like a Hallmark card. It sounds like a, a Hallmark movie. It sounds like nice-isms. But here's another passage from Psalm 103. Listen to the way that it describes God's benefits that he gives. A God who forgives all your iniquity, a God who heals all your diseases, a God who redeems your life from the pit, and who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. This is a God, it says, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Do you dare dream? Do you dare hope that God could satisfy you with good? Do you dare think that you could ask of God that he would meet you and attend to you, not just in the surface level uh, illnesses and sicknesses and and needs that you experience on this earth, but that he could satisfy you in your innermost being, that he might give you life one day that is so full and so joyful, so abundant, that it's beyond what you could even ask or imagine. Because that's the servant in Isaiah 49. A servant who comes not just to make things a little prettier, a little nicer, a little easier to stomach, but a servant who has come to be with his people, a servant who brings far more than they even dare know to ask. God's compassion does not end with what we ask for. It goes deeper and it goes farther. As you sit here this morning as an individual, as a human the question that is being asked of you is, have you dared hope? Have you dared see that there is a different way of life possible to you? Have you dared reflected that this person, Jesus, is not just a, a storybook character? He's not just a, a polite thing to come to church on Sunday mornings and feel good about yourself, that he comes to disrupt with the hope of his presence, that he comes to bring life, that he comes to pierce the darknesses that are so deep in your soul you don't even know they exist yet. Because Isaiah 49 was written to people who need a bigger vision of what Jesus comes to bring, a God whose compassion is so great that he wants to go deeper down inside of you. But his compassion isn't limited there either. Here, as we look at this, his compassion is not just that he wants to go deeper down inside of you to know you, to love you, but that his compassion wants to go farther out. Look at verse 1. Look at who he addresses uh, this section to. The servant is speaking here, right? It's in his voice. And he says, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. Right? We have a distorted vision of what afar means, right? For me, like, afar means Germantown, right? That, that's a long way away. I went to uh, Jake Vargo's office the other day in Olive Branch, right? I packed snacks for the journey, okay? My vision of, of what is far, of what is possible is very, very small. 
but to the one who created heavens and earth, the one who, who knit together every person in every womb that exists on this earth, afar means really, really far, doesn't it? It's the people of Israel to Isaiah could never have dreamed of the people, the coastlands that were being described to him by this servant. Because his compassion is not just for the people of Judah, those who, who knew about Jesus, who, under, who, who knew about God and who, who sought to worship him. His compassion was to extend further out. Look at verse 6. It is too light a thing. It's too easy. It's too simplistic for that my servant should rise up, raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. You notice that language? That's, that's going back to the, what they wanted, right? They wanted their, their homeland. They wanted their people to be safe and secure. They wanted their identity. They wanted uh, the, a relative level of peace in the world. Jesus says that is too light a thing. The people wanted uh, the, <clears throat> the people of Israel, those who were brought up to know the stories of God and his redemption, the way that he had saved his people from, from Egypt, the way that he had ministered uh, to them in the desert land. It, the, the people wanted those who were already in the house of God to know and to embrace God's covenant for them, his love for them. They wanted all of those things, but God says that's too light a thing. It's trivial. It's small compared to the enormity of his compassion. He says it's too light of a thing that you want a servant to simply, to simply raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. God says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God says it's too light to simply expect the compassion of God to stay within the realm of those who have known him and who have heard about him. He says there are people who are far off, the, the, the furthest out, those on the coastlands, those on the extremities of the earth, people who have been brought up with an active opposition to the idea of the God of the Bible. People who have never known or dreamed that there could be peace, that there could be flourishing, that there could be real justice on the earth. This servant comes so that his compassion might extend to the furthest out places of the globe. But I wonder if we want that for Christmas this year. If we dare think that that's even a possibility. Because we live in the middle of a world that is in utter turmoil, right? We could talk about Iran. We could talk about China, right? We could talk about our sisters and brothers trying to figure out how to celebrate Christmas in Kaviv this year. And it's impossible for us to even begin to imagine how God's compassion, how the, the story of his life, his death, his resurrection could penetrate into these lands, but we don't even have to go that far out to be discouraged from asking that from God. You can look at our own city, right? Our own city where we could uh, see that it is held captive to forces of violence and poverty, despair and racism, held in captivity 
generations have gone before us, and likely generations will follow us trying to crack these codes that seem to have a, a death grip on our world, and we think that's too big of a question to ask of God. But the compassion that God shows here is he says, no, it is those who are the farthest out. Those who have experienced the, the, the most evil, the most bitterness in this world that his compassion is for. We sit here this morning in the middle of a neighborhood that in our city is probably the neighborhood most hostile to the story of Jesus. Most disinclined to be willing to listen to what he has to say. The most skeptical of the claims that he has, people who have never dreamed of the kind of flourishing that Jesus has offered to his people. And God says, my mercy, my compassion, my hope, it's not just for the people in this room. It's not just for the tribe of Judah. It's not just for the people in Christ's church. It is for those who are the farthest out. We live in a city with kids who have no father and who have no mother. And we live in the middle of a city where, where people do not know the compassion of a heavenly father who cares for them. We have people who, who live in the imprisonment of their anxieties, and we have those who live in the physical structures we call prisons. And God's compassion, his mercy, his kindness, his goodness is for the furthest out. So I ask you again, what do you want from God this Christmas? What is it that you hope, that you dream God is doing? Because if what you hope and you dream, what you ask for does not include those who are the farthest out, then you have not asked enough of God. The Christmas list that you have put together is completely inadequate. But here's the, here's the hope. The hope is, is that this compassion that God comes to bring. He comes and he brings it, but he does not wait for us to ask. He tells the people of Israel, this is what the servant of God is to do. What he invites us to do is to dream that it's a possibility. He asks us to dream that, that maybe, just maybe, poverty and sickness, disbelief and hostility towards God can be overcome. He asks us to dream and to hope that maybe, just maybe, Jesus is great enough. His mercy is powerful enough. His hope is real enough to transform our world. And if we have that hope, if we have that dream, then we will experience our God in a completely different way. Because we've been conditioned to think that the only things God can do are small. They're, they're trivial. We've been conditioned to think that God just wants us to have a merry Christmas. But what God wants us to do is to have the hope that he can transform the world. And thus we can go with him. You know, yesterday, uh, many of you uh, joined in the, the St. Jude Marathon. Or of those of you who uh, 
didn't want to run that because uh, you're sane, right? You stood on the sidelines and you cheered, or maybe you volunteered and you hoped for, because we all recognize that there is this incredible gift that our city gives to the world called St. Jude Hospital, right? It's this gift to the world because they have, have chosen to tackle one of the thorniest and, and trickiest uh, medical needs that, that exist in the world of childhood cancer, right? They've taken on this ambitious and impossible task to end childhood cancer. And we, in this, uh, you could envision a, a patient maybe somewhere, let's say they live in Nebraska, who's never heard of St. Jude, who's never heard of the research that's being done there, a child who's experiencing a, a, a tumor, who's experiencing pain, and who's experiencing suffering. Someone who, whose parents believe that they are about to die, and all that they know to ask the doctor for is, is relief. Is some drugs to medicate the symptoms, is, is to feel free from the disease that is coming upon them, but they ultimately really believe that death is come. And you imagine this person who's never heard of, of the, the, the miracles being done in oncology today being set, told, no, there is a place, a place where your child can go a place where, where there are physicians who know and have studied, who have researched this level of darkness, and they have, can heal him. They can offer him life-saving treatment. And you imagine the way that hope works, right? Hope enters into this family that maybe just maybe this could be true. And that hope is enough for them to disrupt their entire life, to pick up their family and move from Nebraska to Memphis for however long it takes for those treatments to be completed. Hope that maybe, just maybe, this cancer diagnosis, diagnosis does not need to be final. As believers in Christ, we have a hope. That there is a place for every darkness that exists in our world. That there is a place for every brokenness that exists in our world. That there is a place for every act of violence and every experience of poverty in our world to come and to be healed. To come and be renewed. And that place is Jesus Christ. We don't have to speak in vague generalities. We don't have to, to, to issue... Uh, toothless hopes for the world. We have a God who has entered into time and place to set our hope for the world anew. We have a God who has come to earth, a God who is coming again one day, and in his wings he brings compassion. He brings healing. He brings hope. And so our charge this morning is to dream bigger of what God could do in our lives. To look at the servant that Isaiah promised these people and to dream of, of a God who could do far more than we could ever dare ask or imagine. What do we want for Christmas this year? Well, the servant, the servant's desire seems to be this 
Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people, and he will have compassion on his afflicted. Let us rejoice in the endless compassion of our God. Father, we gather this morning as people who have to admit that our vision for the world is too small. The people whose hope for redemption, whose hope for healing has long ago given way to cynicism and and, uh, materialism. God, a people who need to be reminded that when you promise us your coming, you promise us your very life, that you promise us your very kingdom, that you promise us your eternity. God, undo the forces of darkness in our world and bring us your light. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?